Welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. Today we're talking about photosynthesis, specifically a new project to screen 160 canola lines for superior photosynthetic efficiency, which will ultimately contribute to the development of high yield cultivars. The lead for this project is my guest. My name is Linda Gorin. Most people call me Dr. Gorin. I am an assistant professor and the Western Greens Research Foundation Chair in Cropping Systems at the University of Alberta. Before we talk about the project, let's hear about Linda Gorham's winding road to the University of Alberta in Edmonton. I want to start with a bit about you. How did you become a scientist? Oh, my story is kind of winding. Let's hear um, it. When when I started my undergraduate, uh, I was born and raised in Cameroon. And so I went through grade school, kindergarten, like every other person, and went to the university. Uh, in high school, all I wanted to be was a commercial airliner. And therefore, I dwelled into mathematics and physics and also, of course, biology. In my country, you're not allowed to take maths, chemistry, and physics without biology. Okay. And uh, when I got to university, I my family was poor. I didn't have money to get into a school that trains pilots. And so I had to look for a second choice. And so I went to the university and got enrolled in the life sciences. I think at that point, everyone wanted to become a biochemist. And I decided to take a different path. I went and enrolled myself in zoology. So I did my bachelor's degree in zoology. And at the same time, because I'm always, always hyper ambitious, I would say, I did a medical lab technology diploma. So I graduated in three years with a degree in a bachelor's degree in zoology and a diploma in medical lab technology. Um, I went after that to work in a hospital and found myself in the surgeon unit where I participated in carrying out surgery on people. Mm -hmm. And the surgeon one day looked at me dead in the eye and said, what are you doing here at the age of, of 21? Uh, and I said, hey, I'd, I would like to go to a medical school, but they wouldn't take me because in my country, you needed to bribe to get into those institutions. And we were so poor, we had little to eat. So they decided to kick me out of that job and send me to go back and hang around the university because they believe that's where uh, scholarships are advertised by international agency, by the government, by others. And so they thought it didn't make sense for me to stay in our hometown, which is about eight hours north of the university. So I went back down there. I was jobless. And so I went to live with my supervisor. And so she was like, why are you wasting your time? Maybe you should enroll in a master's program. Why you wait for this scholarship? So I started a master's degree in zoology. So in the midst of my master's degree in zoology, I got two scholarships all the way all german based scholarships and one was for the from the foundation of bread in umf in the south of germany 
And so I left in the middle of that master's degree just after data collection and went to Germany to start a second master's degree. And I was like, I don't know why I should do two degrees in the same field. So I decided to do plants. I was like, I know a lot about animals. I just came from the hospital. I did basic zoology in malaria, working on malaria in children. So I'm like, why get another degree again in animal sciences or something related to health? Why don't I try plant? So at that point, there was this world-renowned um, plant scientist at the University of Hohenheim, which is in Stuttgart in the south of Germany. And I went to his lab and he said, well, I'm very close to retirement. I work on cover crops in the tropics. If you are interested, we could find a topic for you. So he had some collaborations with IITA, which is the International Institute of Tropical Agriculture. And therefore they came up with the topic, how you can use cover crops to suppress wheat in the, in the tropics. So they put me on the plane and shipped me out to an African village where I was learning to, to practice how we can use different cover crop species to suppress wheat. And in that village, the people that I work with were prisoners. So I did that work mean? and, pardon? What do you mean they were prisoners? Um, the, the villagers worked on their farms. There was a big prison there. So there was free levels. Okay. <laughs> there were free, free levels from the prison. So I used prisoners to help me carry out my research out in the field because there was no other person to hire. Where were you doing this work, Linda? In Cameroon, in a village called Wum. Back, back in Cameroon. Okay. Back in Cameroon, in a village called Wum. W-U-M. So I collected my data. I went back and unfortunately for me, this world-renowned cover cropper, he, re he retired. So when he retired, uh, that position was filled by a professor who became my PhD supervisor, and he worked on crop water stress management. So when he arrived, he was like, well, I see you're great. You are an excellent student. Are you interested in doing a PhD with me? So he took me on and he brought a project on seed coating. And so I did my PhD on a 50% basis and worked as a research assistant for him on the project that he brought from the University of Bonn. So I switched over and started working on crop water stress management, especially during early seedling establishment in wheat, barley, and rye. Did you say and cold so water? Crop, crop water stress management. Crop water crop. stress, yeah. Yes, management, yeah. So I did, so that's how I got into science. That's my long and winding story. <laughs> Well, I, I want to talk about how you got to University of Alberta, but I have to go all the way back to the beginning because I'm curious. What was it? What was it about being a pilot that appealed to you as a kid in Cameroon? I don't know. I mean, my family, they, I think everybody told me that women cannot be pilots, but I remember I grew up working on, in our small farms, so small older farm, farmers we were. And I always looked up and saw these planes flying overhead. 
uh, I didn't have no mean to anybody that said, hey, this is the best thing to do. I looked at it. I asked my science teacher, how do you become a pilot? And he said, well, you have to be good in mathematics and in physics and in geography. And so I went and threw my heart and my soul in it. I guess it's a good thing that you took the path you did because here you are in Canada, but you might have been flying uh, international Airbus 380s or something around the world. But, but yes, that's why I'm kind of getting into drones in my program because drones. I kind of oh, looking perfect. at it like I came full cycles. So I think I got it. I think got it. And do you ever it. do you want to take your pilot's license and fly a little Cessna around? I don't know, but I'm just happy that we got our first drone this last summer in my group. So I'm like a kid with a toy. I just feel like it came full cycles and I still got to fly something. So <laughs> I think I would take the, the license at some point, you know. Yeah. All right, Linda, how, how did you get from Cameroon and from your studies in Germany to the University of Alberta? Oh, so um, after I defended my PhD in 2014, we my husband was actually working in Copenhagen. He also did the same program in agriculture, a master's degree, and I was working in Copenhagen. And so I thought that was where we're going to live. And then I started applying for jobs and I interviewed quite a lot. I had I don't know. I applied for jobs for a long time, never got an interview. And then I got like, I think, five interviews in the span of two weeks. And then I got interviewed by the lentil breeder, Bert Vandenberg at the University of Saskatchewan. And so Bert was asking me, like, why would you leave all the opportunities in Europe and come here? And I told him I was tired of doing research and the research was either ending up in companies who are just like making money or in publications. And Brett was like, Do you, what, what are you looking for? And I said, I wanted to impact the life of farmers. I grew up on a farm and I wish people had told us things that I know now. And so he was like, okay, this is the right place. If you want to touch farmers, the lives of farmers, and you want to work with farmers, then you have to come. And it was a pre-interview and I was shocked. The next day I had my employment letters in the mail and I was there sitting and waiting for the other interviewers to give me a response. And they were like, you need to sign this by Tuesday next week and send it back to us. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is where I'm supposed to go. Yeah. So that's how I ended up at the University of Saskatchewan as a postdoc. I did my postdoc for two years. And after that, uh, I was moved up as a research associate. So I did my research associate for one year and 10 months. And then this position opened up. And so I interviewed, I think, for a couple of positions. This one and the WGRF, uh, the WGRF uh, position at the University of Saskatchewan and also for a position at, in BC at the University of British Columbia. And yeah, this is the one that offered me a job. So I took it. And of course, I took it because they said, so you're going to be our ears and eyes with producers. I was like, this is what I've been looking for all my life. That's great. Yeah. Well, Linda, we're going to we're going to focus in now on photosynthesis because eventually we're going to talk about a new project that you're starting looking at photosynthesis in canola. But can you give me a real basic description of what photosynthesis is? I have a simple definition. So it is a process by which green plants 
And some other organisms, it can be green plants or it can be like green algae. They use sunlight to synthesize food from carbon dioxide and water. And this food that they, they synthesize is mostly glucose. All the plants that we grow in the prairies, what are we doing? We're harvesting sunlight. So that process where the plant, the light is harvested by the plant leaves is what we call photosynthesis. Basically, we're eating the sun, which is the title of a book I have here in my my office. And and, and so the, these plants that take sunlight and convert it into energy and then food, yes. that, that's the basis for all life on Earth. Is that fair to say? I would say yes. I would say yes. Yes, most plants, I think very few organisms don't depend on sunlight. Like very few yeah and then the, i mean the plants then feed the whole food chain from i suppose in, insects to birds to the, the higher life forms and humans yeah to microbes through their root exudates i mean i was reading this article that says that about 40 percent of all the sugars that plants uh produce during the process of photosynthesis they exude that through their roots as root exudates that feeds our microbes. Mm. Yeah, so there's more to photosynthesis than our our wheat grain that we get and protein and whatever we get above ground. There is more to photosynthesis than we 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 think. And I think there are a lot of scientists exploiting this. I mean, they, they even say that their plants manipulate these root exudates to to attract different kind of microbes in their roots rhizosphere and so that they can take up for example p or n or whatever they need from the soil they would manipulate it and they're calling it like roots farming microbes i mean it's like very interesting oh so you're making the connection between photosynthesis and and all of the life within the soil it's, it's almost like the the plants recruit the root right and yeah the plants yeah, and, and the yeah, microbiome the is only there because of the plants it's not the other yeah. way around yeah at least that is what these british scientists are postulating they they believe that the plants do produce different kind of root exudates and that's what they're calling like microbe farming i want to come back to photosynthesis linda yes and and i've heard that the the photosynthesis system within plants even though it's been around for for millions billions of years is quite inefficient is that correct yeah i can explain that uh when light hits a leaf um about 50 percent of the light is either absorbed as heat or reflected off just between i don't know between 20 in some cases to 50 percent of the light is absorbed that then triggers the electro the linear electron flow down that leads to the to the to the synthesis of sugars so this system although it's some people say that it is conserved i believe that that's something that can be exploited as we get global climate change with extended light periods you know this is something that can be exploited which is which forms the basics of why we we started to do this project 
Now with your study, and I'm going to give the title, Evaluating Canola Germplasm for Photosynthetic Efficiency. Yes. What do you hope to discover? Um, I don't think that we are doing a lot of discovery per se. We are not discovering anything that is kind of new under the sun. What we're doing is we are screening these 160 um, canola lines, including checks, which are either Roundup Ready canola or Liberty Link canola that we know, like current canola lines that or cultivars that are on the market. We are going to screen them for these photosynthetic traits that and see whether in these lines there are some that have higher efficiencies in harvesting light. And we also looked at sourcing relationships in, in the sense of how partitioning is done in these plants. And then we also looked at some leaf, leaf parameters like leaf area index. I also used um, a, a kit from Japan called the SumDisk. And what I used it, used it to do is to imprint the top and the bottom of the leaves so that we can kind of characterize the leaves of these genotypes to see whether just the structure of the leaf makes a difference or is it a physiological process that is contributing to these efficiencies. All right, let's let's go back to the beginning because there's a few things I need to sort out there. Screening 160 canola lines, including some commercial lines for photosynthetic traits, how do you screen them? Are you just are you sh are you shining a light on them and seeing which no. ones grow no, faster? We, we grew them in the field. These are all field based experiments. We we used um, we used the Ceras, the Ceras two um, lycometer, which you can use to measure both chlorophyll inflorescence and gas exchange, and then we also used a gadget called the Multisecureometer, which was developed by Michigan State University a few years ago with funding from the uh, Bia Melinda Gates Foundation. And this uh, gadget enables us to go in the field and measure photosynthesis in the leaves at Bolting. We did all of this at Bolting. At Bolting? Yes. Uh, all right, so you've got various gadgets, including this one you you said the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation helped funded from Michigan State University. And and, and you said it measures the photosynthetic activity within leaves. So you would go leaves. from plant to plant to see yes, how much plant photo to plant. Yes, and we measure pot multiple leaves per plot. Hmm. And it'll give you a reading that's sufficient to say, OK, this this plant or this line is is doing more. It gives you, yes, yes. Hmm. it gives you 21 different parameters like phi 2, linear electron flow, VV over VM. These are all different, I don't know how to put it. These are all different fluorescence parameters. But then that one gadget also gives you like efficiency, photosynthetic efficiency, gas exchange, all of that it gives you. 21 parameters. Okay, we're not going to talk about all of those. But yes. At the end of the day, or at the end of the season, yes. You you've you've checked all 160 of these lines for their yes. photosynthetic activity. 
Yes. And then do you do you collect the yield for each and then try to yeah we do all cross kinds reference? of things. Yes, we harvest the plants, we divide them into root shoots and seed. We harvest the yield. Uh, we we just completed our field data. Now we are trying to analyze this data. And what we are trying to find out is which of these photosynthetic traits are very important. So we are doing some correlation analysis so that we can identify a few of the traits that can be used for further screening in the future. And then we will, we will identify lines that have doing better than our runoff ready or liberty link checks and, and we and then these lines will be given to the breeder who is the co-applicant on this project dr raman habibu raman yeah. and he is going to do some qtls with these lines and he is going to start to 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 put these lines into the breeding program Okay, QTLs. Those are basically the the genes or the traits. What does yes. it stand? What's it stand for again? QTL. Quantitative trait loci. Loci. Okay. <laughs> All right. And based on the work for this project that you've done, though, have you seen differences in photosynthesis or photosynthetic efficiency from line to line? Uh. I don't want to jump in front of the <laughs> in front of the board. I'm just going to talk about the last two years, the preliminary data, because we have three other sites this year. So we're okay. going to have like five side years for this um, phenotyping work. We have seen that there are some lines belonging to some pedigrees, like for example, lines from gene banks, lines from spring canola cross with winter canola some of those lines we have been able to identify some lines that had superior they, they had significantly higher for example phi 2 than our current our current runoff radio liberty link yeah, lines okay. yeah we have been able but we i don't want to give you names because we want to put all the data together and try to identify lines that did better than the check irrespective of the environment that's yeah, where no, we want to yeah that's fair enough i don't need you to give me specific names of lines but i i'm just i just wanted to know if there was enough difference within these these 160 lines to make the to make the next step worthwhile like are we is there enough happening yes. in terms of differences to say okay this is worth continuing because there's there's enough difference in this photosynthetic activity that if we can identify the QTLs, that could go into breeding more efficient and higher yield, yielding canola. Yes, I would say at the moment from the indication I have, I mean, don't hold me to this. I still have three side years to analyze and then I can draw a conclusion. And so we are hoping that we will find, at least we will narrow down to some lines that show promise so that uh, the breeder can do their work. I'm not a breeder, so I can't tell you all the details what the next step in terms of breeding will be. Do you get the sense that we're, we're just starting to figure out photosynthesis and, and how we could 
make it more efficient, the work you're doing, the work other people are doing. It's a, it's a, it's a bit like the soil microbiome where we're just we're just starting to figure out what this means for plants or, or how far along are we with photosynthesis? We have a lot of work done, like the screening we are doing, the measurements we are doing, but I think most of it is in the wheat. I think the International Wheat Consortium has kind of dedicated a lot of resources into photosynthesis. But for I canola? Think, I don't think canola started. is as far along as wheat is. Linda Gorham is an assistant professor and Western Grains Research Foundation Chair in Cropping Systems at the University of Alberta Faculty of Agricultural Life and Environmental Science in Edmonton. Thanks, Linda. Thank you very much, Jay. Gorham leads a project to screen 160 canola lines to observe differences in photosynthetic efficiency. If you're interested in genetic improvements to canola, including enhanced photosynthesis, I recommend you read my article called Morphing Canola from the September 2023 issue of Canola Digest. Read it online at canoladigest.ca. One idea, as Canola Council Vice President Curtis Rempel shared in the article, is to use transgenics to change canola's photosynthetic process. The article also mentions Kevin Roswodowski, research scientist at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Saskatoon, who is working to improve photosynthesis through canola architecture adjustment. He's looking at two specific areas. One, to make the flowering area more compact to increase sunlight penetration to the leaves during flowering. And two, to change leaf area and angle of presentation so leaves intercept more sunlight. Canola Watch is an agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada with support from the three prairies-based canola grower organizations, Saskanola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. At the core of Canola Watch is a timely agronomy email with regular updates on insects, diseases, fertilizer deficiencies, storage risks, and other topics. If you are not already subscribed, please sign up at canolawatch.org. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. Thank you very much for listening.